Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Oh, hey, uh, happy Mother's Day. You know, somebody asked me this week if I was going to share a Mother's Day message, and I always say the same thing. I don't know what I could provide or I could say to a mother other than you guys are wonderful and we love you. That's about it. As a, as a man and as a husband, I just, I marvel at my wife, her gifts, her self-sacrifice, her love. And I, I don't know if I could add much more to that. I think the Lord has a lot to say to moms, but I, I tend to kind of let him say that. Um, but anyways, hey, if, and this kind of does apply. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're kind of landing the plane as Jesus is summarizing everything he said. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's these series of kind of metaphors that he gives us about two different paths. And then he starts talking about prophets. And actually, he mentions wolves in sheep's clothing. And then after that, he'll talk about two types of foundations, that you can build your house on the sand and you can build your house on the rock. And the question that, that really comes to mind is, what does God want for us? That as we go through this, what does Jesus really want for us? What does the Father want for us? In the Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus' main manifesto in terms of what it means to be in the kingdom, to, to love the Father, to follow Jesus. What does God want for us? And the question that I have to ask myself is, do I want the same thing? And when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's often challenging us to evaluate where we are, what we're feeling, what's going on, what we're thinking. And sometimes when we do that, you can be in a place that's pretty awkward and uncomfortable. That when you open yourself to the Lord, he starts addressing issues that, honestly, I don't want to address. I'm kind of content being angry. I'm content being bitter. I'm content being frustrated. I'm content kind of walking in the path that's just the way of the world. And as I listen to the people around me, it's much, much easier just to flow. You know what I mean? Just kind of let the river take you. And, and sometimes it's kind of flowing in that direction. And you just kind of pick up your feet, you know, lazy river. And it takes you, but to follow Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's upstream, it's, it's pushing back, it's evaluating, it's being alert, it's being awake, it's, it's wrestling, and it's, it's challenging. So as we get into the conclusion, the question we're asking, you know, what does God want for us? What does he really care about? And, and is, are we on the same page in terms of what God is, really cares about? Do I care about the things that he wants for me? So let's jump into it and, and begin looking at these metaphors that he gives us that applies everything that he's taught us up to this point. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So that's the first metaphor. Now he's going to switch metaphors. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. 
Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now here comes another metaphor. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. For see, on that day, that final day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will say, depart, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, as we jump into this passage, Lord, as we give you, first of all, gratitude and thanks for the mothers that are in our lives, both those spiritually, physically, who have mentored us and loved us and nurtured us. Father, we, we thank you. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us and guide us. And, and Lord, you would illuminate the things that you want for us. And certainly those things you want for us that, Father, we're resistant to and we're pushing back. But by your grace and your spirit, you, you want to move in. So we invite you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me be honest with you. As you study this passage, it's difficult. A lot of the things Jesus says are difficult, but these metaphors that he's using, they, they kind of seem like mixed metaphors. He's talking about two ways, two paths, two gates, and then he transitions. And he's talking about false prophets, and they're sheep. Actually, they're wolves, but they look good on the outside. And then he starts talking about trees, and trees bear good fruit, and if the tree's bad, we all kind of get that. And then he finally comes to something that I know for a lot of us, it frightens us a little bit, doesn't it? You know, depart from me, I never knew you, even though I did all this stuff for you, and I, and I was kind of more like, is that me? Could that possibly be me? And, and it's a lot of metaphors, and all of this really has one point, that Jesus is summarizing everything he's taught. Because see, when you conclude something, you shouldn't bring in something new. Typically, when you're summarizing, you're bringing everything that you've taught up to this point, and you're allowing it to kind of to simmer. And then next week, we're going to look at the two foundations, building your life on the sand or building your life on the rock. And all of this is really communicating one thing. The question is, how do these metaphors work? And what is he telling us? So let's jump back into the story, verse 13, and look at this first metaphor. And he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, okay? And because it's wide, it's easy, but that's not necessarily good. Just because it's wide, just because the river moves that direction, but just because it doesn't take much effort, it leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, verse 14, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Now remember, Jesus is on a, a hillside and he's gathered with people, they're all around him and likely nearby is a Roman road. One of the things the Romans left for us is this idea of travel. Transform the world, the ability to travel from place to place. And they built these fantastic roads, many that are still in existence today. And it was wide, it was easy, it was a path that you would go on, you wouldn't get robbed. It was well lit in the sense that it was in an open area. And then he's describing maybe an elk path. It's not so much a hiking trail, it's a path that wildlife may go down. And it's dark. You're liable to trip. It may be on the side of a hill. It's not necessarily a path that's easy to go down. You don't know where it's going to go. You can't see around the corner. And he's taking these two paths that people would have known, and he's saying, which path are you on? And which path relates to discipleship, which means to follow Jesus? 
which path relates to the path he wants us to go down. Now, when you look at the two paths, one is broad and, and it's easy, but he says the end isn't good. Now, the end actually was good, and back in, in Jesus' day, it actually led to a gate, and that gate would lead to a city, and it would be an ornate gate. Often, before you came into a city, it was beautiful as they would set out the gate. And so they're, they're taking these metaphors that, that initially would kind of conflict with what they know. And then you had a path that likely, likely had robbers on it, or it was a narrow, difficult way, and he's saying that's the way that leads to life. And the question becomes is, what is it referring to? What are these two paths? Now, often I think what you hear people say is, you know, the broad path, that's just do whatever you want. Now, think about it. If you've been along with us, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, is that what the Sermon on the Mount's about? People just doing whatever they want. Is he constantly saying, hey, look out for the people that are doing whatever they want? Or is he saying, look out for the people who are praying? What? You guys following me? Because again, the summary of this is everything I've talked about. When you go back in the Sermon on the Mount, what is he, who is he talking to? People who are doing whatever they want? Sleeping with whoever they want? He says, hey, watch out you who pray. Watch out who, you who read scripture. Watch out, do you remember that? Watch out when you give. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And when you pray... Don't stand out on the street corner to be seen by men. You've already received your reward. And when you fast, don't look terrible. Clean up your face. Put something nice on. So who's on the broad path? People that are praying. People that are reading their Bible. People that are fasting. It's a little frightening. Because... If it's a summary of what he said, you're not gonna suddenly show up with new people right now. He's talking about everything that's come before. But remember what he said before, what was he addressing? What's the difference? Because there are those who pray and there's those who pray. There's those who give and there's those who give. There's those who read the Bible and those who read the Bible. Well, what's the difference? What does God want for you? What sets one group apart from the other? And is it not the heart? Is it not the heart that loves God? See, you can be lost in morality. You can be lost in the church. You can be lost in religion. The broad path isn't just all these people who are doing whatever the heck they want. And the narrow path is all the good people. If you see it that way, that's not the Sermon on the Mount. On the narrow path, it's people like us. We're a mess. Come on. We struggle with judgment. At least I do. I struggle with unforgiveness. Jesus talks about unforgiveness. I struggle with not being merciful. Blessed are the merciful. The people on the narrow path are broken, but see, they know they need the Lord. The people on the broad path, whether they're religious or irreligious, they don't submit to the Lord. And even though outwardly they look good, inwardly, watch out. There's wolves. Do you see that path? What he's describing is something we don't naturally intuit, that God is much more concerned with the heart and what you love. Now, God cares about your behavior. It's, much, it's, it's important. Humanism is a good thing in that we care for each other. God cares about how you treat other people but it doesn't impress him. 
unless it comes from a heart that loves him and loves others. So that's the first, that's the first illustration, the broad path, the narrow path. But just be careful who you're putting on that broad path. Because see, what Jesus is telling us is what leads to destruction is when we set our heart on ourselves and we don't open our hearts up to God, which means we have to take all of the Sermon on the Mount and start saying, hey, do I really want this? Now, we're gonna summarize what that means in a minute. Now, let's go into the second set of metaphors and see if it's saying the same thing, okay? Because I could be wrong. You guys need to check me. So let's look in the second set of metaphors and see what he describes. If you jump down to verse 15, he says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but then he says, but inwardly, notice the ravenous is, is wolves, but you will recognize them by their fruits. Okay, so stop for a minute. If somebody is in sheep's clothing, the outside is good, right? That's the idea. Inside, it's bad. So if somebody on the outside is good, how do you recognize them by their fruit? What's the fruit? I mean, have you thought about that? These metaphors, if you're thinking, you're in the right place right now because that's where I was all week. This is intended to stop and make us think because if someone's coming to me in sheep's clothing, that means they look like a sheep, but internally something's wrong. Now, what he goes on to is to transition the metaphor, because right now he's talking about something internal, bad, external, good. Sheep, good, wolf, bad. Then he goes on to talk about trees, and, and trees are consistent. I mean, no tree can bear false fruit, right? You don't see oranges on apple trees. It just doesn't happen. Now, if you do, you're like, okay, you're probably an arborist. You know that that's not an apple tree, but somebody's tied the false fruit to the wrong tree. So now he goes on and he mixes metaphors because watch this, verse 16, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree, healthy fruit. Good heart, good life. Diseased trees bear bad fruit. Now a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is gonna be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. But is it that easy? Because who's on the broad path? People that are praying, people that are giving, people, because let's go back. Come on, let's let's think for a minute. What did he talk about in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not murder, that's good. But is that all that the Father cares about? Or does he say, is there anger in your heart? You know, it's easy not to murder, I'm assuming. I mean, none of us have gone that path, which means that's more than likely pretty easy. It is hard to address anger and resentment in your heart. That makes you think. Because it feels good to be resentful and to be bitter and to be angry. That's just going with the tide. That's allowing the rivers to take you. That's the broad path that leads to destruction. What's the hard path? It's examining what's going on in my life and in my heart. It's inviting the Father to say, listen, there is anger in me, there is rage in me, there is hatred in me. God, I need you to address it. 
And you know what that is? That's a choice. It's a choice that instead of just trusting myself, I'm going to submit to the Lord. And out of that choice, what happens is, is good fruit comes. Now, I want to back up for a minute. See, what Jesus is doing is he's using the language of the prophets. Often in the Old Testament, this language is very, very common. And you haven't read the Old Testament, you'll find that there often Moses will say, hey, you got to choose. Who, who are going to serve today? you got to choose. He'll bring out the law and say, are you going to follow the Father or are you going to chase after idols? And every time they failed, he reminds them, are you going to follow the Lord or are you going to chase after idols? And then in the Psalms, and I want to turn to Psalm 1 because Psalm 1 is very similar to what Jesus is saying in this passage. And in Psalm 1, David, who's writing this, describes this picture. And listen to what he says. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but instead, here's a decision he's making. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. Well, it's really easy to be grumpy, isn't it? To sit in the seat of scoffers. It's really easy to sit in a chair and watch somebody else and evaluate what they've done. That's the broad path. But instead of that, what the psalmist is saying, the one who's blessed is the one that goes against the stream, looks internally, what's going on in my heart? God, instead of delighting in everything that's broken, I want to delight in you. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And so what's the result? Notice verse 3, he is like a tree. But what kind of tree? Bearing good fruit. Inside matches the outside. The heart matches the fruit. He's planted by streams of water, yields his fruit and seeds, his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, but not so the wicked. Instead, they're, they're weightless. They're blown around. They're following down this easy path, which is what? It's the path of not evaluating. It's the path of not recognizing. It's the path of not allowing myself to be judged by the Lord before I judge others. It's the path of unforgiveness. It's the path of not loving my enemies but hating my enemies. It's the path of everything that's the opposite of what Jesus says. But what Jesus says all begins with one thing. It's the heart. Do you notice that? You know, how did Jesus defeat evil? It started with heart. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had to stop and say, you know what? Here's what I want. Father, here's what you want. Wow. I don't want that. I got to choose the path I'm going to go on. I got to choose to trust you. And out of Jesus' surrender of his own heart to the Father, out of Jesus submitting to the Father, what comes out is life. Now, listen, was that an easy decision? I mean, come on now, the cross? I don't care if he's God. Was that an easy decision? No, it's hard. Now, let me ask you, when you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, is that easy? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. If you're pure in heart and you live in a world that is not pure in heart, is that easy? If you're merciful, what do you want to see in the world? And what do you see? Is that easy? And to sum it all up, you know what Jesus ends with in the Beatitudes? And blessed are the one all of us want, right? You know it. You memorize it. Blessed are the persecuted. <laughs> blessed are the rejected. Blessed are you when men revile you and forsake you because for great, you're great in the kingdom. 
everything he's describing is difficult. And it's not so much about behavior. Now, God cares about your behavior. It matters. But he's much more concerned about the heart from which that behavior comes. He's impressed by that. The question is, what are you impressed by? It's easy to lump people on a broad path, but not to ask the Lord, Lord, is my heart still in? You know, you can do the right thing out of the wrong motive, and it's still, it's still wrong. There was a story that Jesus told about two sons. One is called the prodigal son. We know that guy. Maybe some of you were that person growing up. And so he rebelled. Because see, what he wanted was the father's stuff. How was he going to get it? Disobedience. But you know there was another brother. He was back home. Judging the younger brother. Not wanting him to come back. And when he did, you know how he responded? Are you kidding me? You going to take him back? You know what he wanted? The same thing the younger brother wanted. The father's stuff. Go read it. Luke 15. He wanted the father's stuff. One got it through disobedience. One got it through obedience. One got it by being really, really immoral. But one controlled his life by being very, very moral. But you know what? Neither the younger son. Now, the younger son eventually got there. But the elder son didn't want. They didn't want the father. That's what impresses God. Someone that knows how much they need him. Now let's jump back into that, that description. Back in that second narrative, that picture of the false and true prophets. And so here comes this last metaphor. I want to pick this up in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, on that day, and he's describing when the Lord comes back, many will say, hey, I did these great things. I prophesied. I spoke truth. I, I cast out demons, the miraculous. I did mighty works in your name. And I will declare to them, and notice, I didn't know you. Now, the things they did aren't bad. They're good. Praying is good. Giving is good. Fasting is good. These things... They're not bad in and of themselves. What makes them rotten is, is the, the heart. And see, Jesus is not giving us these words to scare us into heaven. He's given us these words to evaluate what do we really want? And are we willing to follow Jesus down this path of discipleship? And so what I want to do just for a minute is I want to jump into another passage, because sometimes you gotta compare things side, side to side to really see what it's saying. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Because see, in 1 Corinthians, what's happening in the Corinthian church is people are really impressed by prophecy, speaking in tongues, casting out demons, healing, all the exciting stuff. And they all had their favorite preachers, and some like Paul, and some like Apollos, and some like Peter, and they were all fighting together because, see, they wanted to be a part of the show, the big stage. They wanted things that shine. And in chapters 12, 13, and 14, it's all about spiritual gifts, right? Speaking in tongues and prophesying. And Paul says, hey, this stuff's great. Nothing wrong with it. But God's not impressed. What he's impressed with is chapter 13. And right between this 
stuff about tongues and gifts and miracles and chapter 12 and then chapter 14, you got chapter 13. It seems like the subject changes, but in fact, it hasn't. Watch this, chapter 13, verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. This is what some people used to do in, in kind of the temples, not, not Jewish temples, but pagan temples, is you had to get the God's attention. So I guess they're sleeping, they're watching the game, and you had, to, you had to say, hey, listen, I'm here. And if I have prophetic powers, the same thing, right, Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, the gift of prophecy. I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I've got 10 PhDs, but I do not have faith. And, and if I have the faith to move mountains, which is his leadership gift, the ability to inspire, but I have not loved, I am I'm nothing. That sometimes you can do things for God to become somebody. Not because you are someone. That's the broad path. Why does God want us to obey him? Because I'm his child. But see, when I obey him to become his child, I've lost the Christian faith. I'm on a different path. Notice how he goes on. And he has another set of gifts. If I give away all I have, so this is radical self-sacrifice. I'm a martyr. I've delivered my body to be burned, but I have not loved. I've gained nothing. Meaning everything I'm doing is to become someone or get something. Not because I have the Father. Because... I'm trying to earn something from the world or from others. And so he goes on. This is what matters. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. That's hard. <laughs> That's not easy. Bitterness is easy. Being rude, easy. Arrogant, it's pretty easy. Doesn't insist on its own way. That's That's hard. It's not irritable, come on. Not resentful, it, it does not rejoice in wrong. Well, some people, we gotta rejoice in some of their wrongs. I mean, we gotta rejoice it when the wrong get wronged, right? When that guy gets fired and you're like, yes. I can't even rejoice in that. He deserved it. Do not judge unless you be judged. Oh, shoot. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, remember, we prophesy in your name, but hey, guess what? That's gonna end someday. Knowledge, it's gonna pass away. He goes on, for we know in, verse nine, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, when Christ returns, the partial, everything else will be passed away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I chose the path of discipleship. I gave up child's, childish ways. See, right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know as I am fully known, even as I have been fully known. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these, this is Paul now saying, is love. All Paul is doing is he's taking the Sermon on the Mount and he's applying it to life. What are they impressed with? Same thing you and I are impressed with, big titles, great speakers, big crowds. And you know what? You can be deceived by that. You know what one of the most dangerous things is in the church? It's a guy like me, standing on a stage like this, with you out there. That really messes up the human heart. Because everything the world says that matters 
is right out before you. And there has to be a choice. And what I'm describing is, is a battle to choose the way of the Lord. Because see, what, what can happen is sometimes leaders and pastors, they can believe their own hype. They can believe the crowds. They can believe the sound and the music. They can believe the titles and the money. And they stop loving the Lord and they lose their way. And some of the best leaders I have known in the time that I have been a Christian have come out with the most reprehensible things in their lives. Why? Why? At some point, they stopped fighting. At some point, they stopped examining. And they said, you know what? I'm successful. The Lord must think it's okay. I don't have to examine my heart. You know what's so good about this message? What God's impressed with is someone who's willing to lay his motives and desires before the Lord and say, Father, would you change me? And you know how he's gonna change you? Unfortunately, through life. And here's what happens in life. Life hurts. And if you're a leader in any way, you're gonna be misjudged, misrepresented. People are gonna say false things about you. And even if you're not a leader, it just happens, doesn't it? And what do you wanna do? I know about me, I am a control freak. When I'm stressed out, I wanna fix everybody's opinion of me. But you know what, that didn't work. The Lord is my defender. And when those pains in life come, the most important thing he wants me to do is to say, yeah, Jason, but what's going on in your life? I wanna address what's going on in your heart. I know what they did, I know what's going on. Okay, listen, I'm broken for those things too. But will you take the harder path? Will you invite me into your life? Will you follow me? You know what's so beautiful about this? is the things that impress God are the things that we can easily take up. You know what Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the servant of all. In our culture, who's the greatest? Come on now, who's the greatest? Bigger titles, bigger money, bigger, it's all that, flash, right? If you look good, you don't have to be good, you just have to look good. But that doesn't impress God. Now listen, great leadership gifts, God's not against great leadership. He's not against great skills and great ability. He's blessed those, but it doesn't impress him. You know, Jesus never went, hey, do you guys see me raise Lazarus? Wasn't that huge? You guys hear about that? Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? Put his book, his face on the cover of a book. You know, the guy who raised Lazarus, five ways to raise people from the dead. He healed people. Hey, did you hear I fed 5,000? Guys, do you know about the 5,000 thing? What did he do? When you read the Bible, all the amazing things, and he goes, hey, you know this Canaanite woman? Best faith I've ever seen. Do you know what Canaanites are? They're they're in that culture, they were called dogs. She knew that, and she actually came up to Jesus and said, yeah, but listen, Jesus, Jesus, the dogs get the scraps. You know what Jesus said? What? This is the most deep, in-depth person I've met. Because see, what, what is she saying? She knew that Jesus was the Messiah to the Jews, that he came to rescue Israel, but she's saying, you know what? But you came to bless the whole world, and you you may not be coming for me first, but you're coming for me, and I want mine now. And Jesus goes, I have not seen greater faith, but here's, I want you to see this. If that Canaanite woman walked into our church back in Jesus' day, 
we would say she's a security threat. You know what I mean? She's a Canaanite. That's not good. God was impressed with her. But I know I wouldn't be. And see, that's the bigger issue. That's what's wrong with the world. That's what makes good speakers into false prophets. Two things matter. Love the Lord your God. That's the hard path. And when you don't want to love your neighbor, go back to loving the Lord your God. Do you see what he's saying? This isn't easy. This is hard. And and I'll confess, you know, I'm somebody that's insecure at times and I get my feelings hurt. But this writes my ship. Because see, when I come back to the Lord and, and I lay myself before him, he reminds me that I'm accepted by grace. Jason, you don't have to have all this together. You, you don't need to do everything right. But in this moment, you can make yourself right. You know how? Just by simply admitting you need me. And see, when we are humble before the Lord, what he does is his fruit begins to work out through us. And we start to have an impact that we could not possibly imagine. That's the Sermon on the Mount. God cares about your heart, but are you willing to allow him to do that work? And then second, here's the next thing, and I'm gonna close, I promise. Will you let other people in? This kind of work, it doesn't happen alone. When he says, hey, watch out for anger in your heart, you're not gonna get that out just by meditating on it. Watch out for lust. It's not enough just to not commit adultery. No, that takes community. A community of people who know you enough and love you enough to wanna move you in a path that allows your heart to be captivated by our Lord Jesus Christ and our Father. That's the pathway that God wants to lead us on. The question is, do we wanna go the easy way? Are we willing to surrender and say, Father, I need you, I need you, I need you. Help me to take down, to go down that path of discipleship that leads to life. It leads to life. Let me pray. Father, I just confess as we read the the words of the Sermon on the Mount, they are great and glorious, but they expose us. I want to see the false prophets that are out there, not the one that's in me. I want to see on the broad road those who are making my life miserable. But Father, you're challenging us to evaluate what we love. Not to threaten us, not to say that someday we're going to come to a place where we're going to wonder if we belong to you, because that's a confession of faith. In the heart of faith that loves the Lord, longs for the Lord, and wants, wants our hearts to be in line with you. And so, Father, we, we set aside the things of this world. Father, forgive us for holding on to the things that are easy, to the things in us that just drive us in that direction towards towards the things that bring death. But what brings life, say, Father, I I need you. I need you. Forgive me. And Lord, allow me to so love you and the things that you love that I would fight more for a heart that is pure and holy, a heart that longs to know you and to love you because out of that kind of heart, will come a life that is good news to the world and brings the good news of the gospel. 
that we are so sinful, Christ had to die for us, but we are so loved that you were willing to die for us. And I pray for anyone that's not received the gospel today, that you would cry out and say, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm not bringing anything else but my need for forgiveness. And I receive the Holy Spirit, which makes me a child of God, adopted and received. Lord, help us in this life to walk the path of discipleship, of following Jesus and putting him first. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.